Photography Online, the podcast. Coming up, we discuss whether AI is harming the planet, why taking a selfie is now banned in parts of Las Vegas, and we reveal the product which officially has the world's worst title. We debate why the photography industry is largely male-dominated and ask, what's the point of back-button focus? We then look at a few new products and ask, does the world really need an AI camera, a motorised tripod, a panoramic digital camera and a lamp? I've got two of the team with me here, so let's get the wheels in motion. And now, please welcome your hosts for this episode of The Photography Online Podcast. A man whose images are so fresh, he keeps his camera gear in the fridge. It's Harry Martin. Oh, that's me. Hello. And a man who had his toenails surgically removed, so he wastes no time having to cut them. It's James McCormick. Can't reach my toenails anymore anyway. And here to keep them both in check, a woman I'm told needs no introduction. Oh, that's nice, isn't it? No introduction. Well, anyway, I am Ruth. Here's my introduction. I'll have to do it for myself. Uh, Welcome to the Photography Online podcast. I'm here to try and keep some sort of order today. We, of course, have got uh, Harry in the studio with us for the first time. He's brushed his hair, especially for the occasion. Harry, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much. Good to be here. And James, of course, who tells me he's put on his best socks. I'm not quite sure either of these guys are getting the whole podcast concept. But anyway, welcome back, James. Uh, I'm afraid that's a complete lie. I am sockless, Ruth. <laughs> oh, we didn't really want to know that. We, d- we don't want to imagine. This is the whole idea of the podcast. We can't see anything, so don't make us think about anything. Anyway, we've got a great podcast coming up for you today over the next 60 minutes or so, starting off uh, with some interesting photography-related news articles. The guys have been uh, trawling through uh, online, I'm sure, uh, newspapers. Do we have newspapers anymore for photography? I no, d- we don't. Not for photography, but one. I still read a paper daily. Oh, right. Okay. Good to know. Well, photography news, basically, the guys have come up uh, with a few items that have kind of, you know, struck them this month. Uh, first story, Harry, what have you found? Well, we talked a lot about AI and sort of fake images on our recent live show, um, which got me digging a little bit. Uh, and I started to read and, you know, I'm very environmentally minded about a lot of things. And I thought, well, what's the impact of all of this AI generated imagery? Long story short, turns out not great. Let me just read you a couple of statistics I've pulled out from a few news stories. So, first of all, just the power and processing required to get some of these algorithms and and programs running and off the ground. So you have to train them, and to do that, so one of the one of the programs, GPT three, doesn't mean anything to me. It ha- apparently, it has one hundred and seventy five billion parameters, so different things that. Uh, you know, it could possibly look into. Now, that consumed just over 1,000 megawatt hours of electricity, but it generated 552 tonnes of CO2. Now, that doesn't mean anything really to the everyday punter. That's the equivalent of 123 petrol-powered passenger cars driving for one year well just to put a rainbow over the top of a unicorn pretty much someone's... that's just the the training for these programs wow and then once they're up and running then you've got the continual investment in energy and and processing power in order to actually generate these prompts when people go and type in you know make a picture of james mccormick look half handsome <laughs> that's probably going to crash half the world's <laughs> coal burning furnaces <laughs> that's just one you know, small 
uh, algorithm in, in, in terms of training. So you think about everything scaled together with all these different companies. It's a pretty big impact in terms of emissions. So that what you're saying there, Harry, is that is basically computer power sucking energy out of the grid, as we call it in the UK anyway, um, just to a get up and learn itself what to do and then once somebody requests something a rainbow over a unicorn on the old man of store with a handsome harry next to it um that requires even more power just to then generate it exactly yeah and this is nothing to do with storing images in the cloud or anything like this this is just ai powered technology the new big thing of 2024 yeah so that's that's just one small example of one small training program. Um, then I mean I could go further, and we could we could study say so. I mean uh, you'll know a little bit about these big data centres, James. More statistics, come on, Harry. We like statistics. Well, so uh, with these big data centres, all this processing power, it takes a lot of cooling, and so the water consumption of these big powerhouse units is colossal. Um, so again, another another statistic I've got here, um, a research team found that ChatGPT, which is probably the most well-known of these um, programs and algorithms at the moment, uses the equivalent of a 500 millimeter bottle of water for each conversation. Wow. So you imagine how many millions of people are now using, you, there's, a, there's a phone app for it now, um, so people are just going on there and every time somebody goes on and just does a random series of prompts, that's a bottle of water. You might as well just be throwing it out the window. I was using that an awful lot last month. I'm feeling very, very bad now. How many bottles of water did I go through? But the magazine's, <laughs> the magazine's going to be brilliant this year now, finally. <laughs> so in essence, Harry, what you're saying really is... Is AI bad for the environment? Well, most things are bad for the environment, right? Human, just being alive is not great for the environment. So what what can we do to alleviate these things? That's the big question before we go on to talk about actual cloud storage and things like that, which is all closely linked after all. But AI itself, do we really need to use it? I suppose is the big question. And if so, Ruth admits that she uses it. So for, for a good purpose, but you know, where, where do you, where does one draw the line? I suppose it's a personal choice, is it not? Oh, absolutely. And the, the, I think the trouble is the cat's out of the bag. So it's, there's no there's no putting away this you know magical tool of AI. It's here to stay. The easiest solutions would seem would, would just make it all renewable. I mean, that seems a relatively easy solution. But you yourself will know from having photographed some of these big data centers that a lot of them aren't. And, uh, you know, they don't, it doesn't seem to be as a very quick take up. They're certainly moving in the right direction. There's no question about that. And they do all sorts of things as to their positioning towards prevailing winds and things like that. And water harvesting is a huge thing. And, you know, it's all moving in the right direction. But my knowledge of them is limited to a, a very small corner of the world, i.e. Britain. I don't know what goes on in the rest of the world. So across America and Asia, which is where the predominantly most of them sit. So I guess, in essence, you know, as you said, the cat is out of the bag. It's moving forward. There's not a lot we can do about that. But if in the same way, I, I presume that when you go shopping, you try and shop reasonably, for want of a much better word, ethically. We, we don't all spend our days pushing whales back into the sea like you do. So, But we can all have a conscience to do with that, I suppose. And just be aware, I'm guessing, is what you're saying, is each time that you use a, what was it, chat, whatever, I don't, you know me, I'm a dinosaur, so I'd be extinct by now anyway. What was it, chat, whatever? Chat GPT, probably the most well-known one. So every time you use it, if you're going to use it, then 
think before you use it. Now, I guess that it's the same, very same principle as cloud storage anyway. So it's, at the end of the day, it's all ICT, which is what I knew it at school, information, communication, technology. This is the biggest industry and it will be the biggest industry in the world. And it's probably going to be the biggest um, emissions emitter mm. very, very quickly. So it's, it's something I think we do need to think about. But you know, in terms of what you and I can do, not a lot. Well, don't use AI unless it's strictly necessary, which it very rarely ever, ever is, unless you really need help writing scripts, Ruth. Yeah. Um, or uh, the other thing that you can do is not upload pictures to the cloud because it's exactly the same uh, servers that do it. So it's exactly the same computing technology. So, you know, what you are going to upload to the cloud, just think very carefully as to whether you really need to or not, just not randomly upload absolutely everything. So every time you press a button on your phone, a picture goes up there because that is having a, you know, it's leaving a footprint, isn't it? And it's one that we don't, wouldn't necessarily always think that it does. You kind of think, well, you know, at least we're not pouring chemicals around anymore. We're just pressing a button and it's going to the cloud and that's fine. Well, not necessarily. It's not as fine as we think it is. And the pouring chemicals things around opens quite an interesting debate. I'm not sure what you think about it, but, you know, in the old days of film photography where, you know, the film would have to be actually produced and then developed and then, in theory, dried, processed and stored, in, you know, in archive quality, hopefully archive quality anyway, paper or plastics, you know, was that better or worse than it is now? Let's talk about letting the cat out of the bag. That's quite a thought to have really that actually the old way might be the better way forget the rabbit warren we've somehow disappeared down the channel tunnel um <laughs> well yeah i don't know i've got no idea when it comes to to the film industry as to what that environmental impact may be in theory you would think it's such a small scale in comparison that if we truly wanted to be environmentally conscious about all of this then we should all just go and shoot film and and you know then we're not using all of this processing power and we're just using hard materials as it were yeah now i reckon that the genuine answer to this is that if we shot the same amount of film as we do digital pictures it would be probably worse i mean we're speculating here wildly speculating but the difference with film was that you tended to be more you know you were careful every time you press the button and that is probably the key to this that there's nothing wrong with digital, there's absolutely nothing wrong with using you know cloud storage or even ai for certain things but just be careful the amount you use it for because you know it's not it doesn't come without its own set of consequences for the environment yep i think you're right i think uh, it's all a case of usage and scale it's a difficult one bit more film. You're going to make Marcus very happy, I think. Oh, yeah, no, that that might have been a bit of a disaster (laughs) of a conversation there, Harry, because now the great lumbering Neanderthal of Marcus is going to be banging on about film. I mean, he's got a point. We we all do quite like film, but it's just when he talks about it, it's just, you know. Yeah, let's leave that one behind. Listen, last month, um, if you're listening to the podcast, we had a selfie-related news story. We've got another one, actually, because there's there's always seems to be selfies in the news. Uh, a new law has banned tourists from stopping to take selfies on pedestrian bridges along the Las Vegas Strip. Or you can either get, I think it's six months in jail or a $1,000 fine. 
Now, obviously, guys, we have been in places like Venice where, uh, you know, obstructing the flow of people has been a real issue. People stopping to take pictures on bridges and stuff. But what's your take on, on this new L.A. or not L.A., excuse me, excuse me, Las Vegas story? Well, I mean, when you were first reading that out, you said there's a new law stopping tourists. And I thought you were going to stop there, which would have been absolutely brilliant. <laughs> that would have been the first place to stop. But of course, we are all tourists ourselves. So, I mean, I'm all in favour of it. But I don't know, it's a little bit of control freakery going on. And the, blimey, did you, how much, run through what the penalties were? They seemed a little on the harsh side. Yeah, I think it was a $1,000 fine or up to six months in jail. God, which of those would you choose, Harry? Well, it's winter here at the moment. It's blowing 90 mile an hour winds. I'd rather be in, in Las Vegas for six months in a, in a nice, Bubba. comfortable jail. Yeah, exactly. Someone to Fair spoon enough. at night. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll take the grand. Thank you very much. And be on my way. Now, I don't know really. I mean, it's a the implementation of it is a we use the word rabbit warren to go down. I don't quite know how they'd implement it really. I'd, I'd just pretend I didn't speak English if I was there and just babble, which is my go to every time I get stopped by law enforcement anywhere. Just pretend to be a bumbling idiot and they tend to let you go at that there's point. No, there's no pretending. But it is, a, it is a good point. And it's not just relevant to the selfies as well is relevant to us photographers as it were you know blocking honey pot locations and putting down tripods and i think just i mean in the end is it not just a case of everyone just being slightly nicer to each other and then law enforcement the fbi the cia the whatever dea whatever it is in america that's going to be taking the lead on this i think they i might be it's probably just the local sheriff but anyway might um, be the dea in your case james <laughs> thank you very much or the atf actually is probably slightly more <laughs> <laughs> yeah. but so so their reasoning uh, you know, I was reading the wording of this law and the press release about it. Research, Harry, you've done research. I, well, I've, I've always got to be good and, and well prepared. But oh, what does it say? So it says the the measure is intended to reduce crime and increase public safety. Well, that's written by a bureaucrat using chat GBT to generate it. Well, exactly. Yeah. How much water went down the drain there? But so it's not really about the photographs as such. It's just people loitering, isn't it? Yep. And I don't see how it's going to reduce crime. If you want to reduce crime, then tackle crime. Don't stop people. Is it our maybe our pickpockets maybe coming along when people are stopped taking pictures? I don't know. Maybe there is a well. Sort of that's reason. like that's like telling people not to go out at night because there's crime. I mean, you can't go down that road. So I hope it's not that reason. So I, I don't know. I I just feel that from a photographer's point of view, if you're there taking a selfie anyway, well, yes, you should be moved along because for all the reasons we discussed on last time uh, last the last episode and also what we were just discussing sending your stupid selfies up to the great cloud in the sky and not doing any damage and if it but if it's photographers themselves that are stopping to take pictures then the photographers should just take a little bit more responsibility maybe and just keep moving because it can be annoying. Yeah, there's never a shortage of selfie-related uh, news articles, so we'll keep an eye on them. I'm sure there might be some, <laughs> might be some a common theme running here uh, as we do the podcasts. And and stay clear of American law enforcement. Well, that as well, yes. Well, I, funnily enough, Ruth, it reminds me, because last time I was in America, I think it might have been with Marcus, actually, I got stopped for jaywalking. So there you really? are. Yes, by a sheriff on a white horse, a female sheriff on a white horse in an all-in-one white outfit with a big silver six-shooter and a big uh, white stetson. I think you're talking about a dream you had. No, I was no, say, it very much sure was not a dream. I was crossing the road to buy a shirt. And, um, yeah, no, and she went, Oi, you! James, I, I don't think she was a police officer. <laughs> she she I was. I think she was probably a stripper. <laughs> Harry, that's outrageous. 
No, she very much was. But anyway, I um, I got you. And you asked how I got out of these situations. I got out of it by being terribly British, saying I'm terribly sorry, <laughs> but I was rather smitten. <laughs> right. Okay. Let's definitely move Powerful on. Powerful thighs. Move on. <laughs> Another story that uh, we've come across this month. Um, Teenagers are apparently covering their faces now in family photographs in a new Generation Z trend, or Generation Z, if you're listening from the US, uh, known as the nose cover pose. This has actually been given a name, which is remarkable. Um, The basic concept is they don't want to be involved, but rather than saying no, uh, they're just putting their hand in front of their face at the moment that the picture is taken. It's an interesting article because it kind of, the person that has written this has kind of basically said, you know, teenagers are feeling a bit hard done by and uh, you know when you're a teen it's kind of that awkward phase you don't want to be seen in pictures but they're having to do it anyway so my initial take on this was that's just a little bit rude isn't it but what about you guys what do you think of this well uh, being a teenager is tough isn't it I mean I'm only just out of that phase (laughs) before you say it and kids and teenagers particularly don't need any reasoning whatsoever to you know belittle or make fun of your appearance so you imagine a slightly awkward family photograph where i don't know you've got a droopy eye or you know your your mouth's open or yeah anything so trying to prevent that and giving yourself a little bit of uh, protection online i think as it as it was you know, at the end of the day, it's up to them, isn't it? It's not, it's not, it's no bad thing, in my opinion, rather than some, maybe some disgruntled parents for ruining family photographs. I thought for a second when you said a slightly closed eye and a droopy jaw, you were throwing to me for a second there, Harry. But, <laughs> <laughs> but when I saw it and I thought Generation Z covering their faces, I immediately thought it was to cover up spots and I thought the Z was for zits. So I completely misread that story to start with. But I think it's a bit of a shame, really. Um, we all get being a teen. We've all been teens quite a long time ago in some of our cases. So family pictures didn't really... Well, my family never wanted pictures of me anyway. So that's a... But that's a they st- weren't called teenagers in your day, were they, James? They were probably just youths. Still. <laughs> I know, yeah. We had to we had to sit, sit still for three and a half minute exposures for the family snapshot back in my <laughs> so day. Three and a half weeks for the painting. <laughs> <laughs> That's that is true. There is a family painting actually. But anyway, of course. Um, now I just think that in the end, it's a you know, of course, kids have a, a a right to cover their faces if they want, and but actually, the parents should just give them a clip around the ear and tell them to get on with it. But then the main reason for that is that it's all very well now covering your face and expressing your right to be you know a teen in twenty twenty four or whatever, but when you're 10 years, 20 years down the line, you've got your own family. I think I think there will be a degree of regret that you can't actually see yourself. And it's not, the picture's not necessarily for you, it's for others. But Harry did touch upon the point about pictures being online and teenagers not wanting to be seen online or being teased or whatever it might be. And I think that's all very valid. But I guess in the end, it's about usage really and reassuring people of the usage of the image. But it is a bit of a shame. And I hope that it's a trend that, goes away and I hope that any parent that has a teen that wants to cover their face actually explains why it's important to to be documented it's not for now it's for future generations really so because yeah you know if ever I get to have grandchildren or something but they wouldn't want to see the family portrait that's been painted with my face covered with my own hand would they so uh, no, I think that is a good point. Yeah, it's actually been cut. It was actually the face was cut out by my sister actually with a Stanley knife, but you know that's a different story. And. We've just come off of talking about AI and all the rest of it. It's not particularly difficult now to to tell a program to 
pop in you know the face of your beloved one with their hand covering their face and tell it to remove the face the new remove the face oh swap the face for one before uh, remove the hand sorry swap the hand that's what yeah, I mean. yeah 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 that's a very good um, point yeah it would do that wouldn't it but or the new google phone i think has got a i think it's google i, I get lost with all the new phones but you know you, you you tap a button it takes a series of photographs and it will automatically choose the best expression and the best face out of the series of images to create a you know the ai composite of the best of the scene so you know it's very easy to to get around something like holding a hand in front of your face or looking away from the camera or something like that because there are all these tools now whether they're right or wrong to overcome that so it's it's almost a bit of a futile gesture i think all right well one final story um harry that that you found which was quite interesting obviously we're, we're fairly near the the beginning of the year and uh, there was a lot of kind of wrap-up stuff of 2023 Worst product name, no, not worst product of the year, worst product name of the year. Because, I mean, I remember the first camera, digital camera I got was the Canon 400D. Um, and I remember hearing that in America it was called the Rebel and thinking, oh, it's just Americans, you know, having a bit of fun with the product names. But actually, there is a huge lack of imagination, I think, with a lot of camera and gear names over here. And this one, takes the biscuit why don't you tell us what it is oh i mean it's it's a good one right let me read the full title for you so it's a it's a new lens that's come out and it is the panasonic leica dg vario elma 100 to 400 millimeter f4 to 6.3 mark 2 asph power optical image stabilization i want one it's got power it's got power i want yeah. one I mean, that's it's quite a mouth. It doesn't exactly just roll off the tongue, does it? And I think this is an increasing issue with new lenses coming out, new models coming out, different versions of the same lens with slightly differing features, where the only differentiation in the in the name and the difference between them is a letter or a designation in the title of the lens. So you might have a uh, Sigma springs to mind, for example. They've got the different lines, the sport, the art. Um, that's a little bit easier to understand. Uh, there's, you know, plenty of. Well, Sigma have done it quite well, like that sport, art, and contemporary, haven't they? So at least, at least they've narrowed it down to three. Yeah, yeah, very clear differences. Whereas otherwise, you've just got all of these seemingly random letters just thrown into the into the title of the lens. It's it doesn't do much to help the image of photography as. Or help the, yeah, help the consumer, basically, who's exactly. making a choice. And it's an interesting thing, isn't it, really? Because if you think of who's the biggest camera manufacturer of the last decade, who's sold billions more than anyone else, Apple. And they just have a phone. And they did, I know they went through a brief phase of putting S or something on the end of it or whatever. But basically, you know roughly the iteration of the phone by the number after it, you know, iPhone 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, whatever we're up to now. So it's very straightforward to know where you are in the pecking order of, you know, how relatively how new that phone is. And I understand clearly that, you know, there's slightly different models with Apple phones and things like that. But but basically it's nice and simple and they do really well with their marketing because of it. And I think the other manufacturers could probably learn a thing or two from that, really. Because that, what you just read out, is ludicrous. Oh, absolutely. And what I do love, um, further on in this news story, just to show some sort of ways that naming can be done a little bit differently. And, and I never realised this. So some of, um, it's not, not Olympus anymore. It's OM System, of course. Um, they had their line of lenses, the, I've probably not pronounced this correctly, the Zyko lenses. 
Z-U-I-K-O. I didn't know that means Light of the Gods. Oh, I should buy one of those then, shouldn't I? Yeah. Capital letters all across your lens. <laughs> and I believe Nikon on one of their lenses has now got uh, the, the Czech word for diaper on one of their lenses. Oh, that's brilliant. That is absolutely... Why? Well, I'll I'll leave that to to the listener's imagination. You know, I know, you know, what we think of most Nikon stuff, but... uh... There is actually... Anyway, uh, there is a true story, Harry, relevant to Namibia, where, of course, you've just finished doing your recce. And well, Namibian, Botswana border, but, you know, hey, to segue and squeeze it in here, I'll say Namibian, but it's actually slightly Botswana, where the World Health Organisation put to their credit, put lots and lots of big ball ball posters up saying, when you go to bed with a lady, wear a condom. Quite right too. We're all for that. We're all for, you know, advertising safe sex. Except they used the local dialect word for condom, which meant socks. Amazing. (laughs) So everyone in that part of Africa is going to bed like an Englishman. (laughs) Oh, no, it's probably on. a safe spot to rapidly move on. <laughs> I was going to say, let's end our news stories there with a bit of class, of course, as ever, uh, from James. And we're going to move on to... The Big Question. It's a question and it's big. Yes, it is. Okay, the big question this week is, why is the photography industry male dominated and talking to two guys of course so i might i might interject uh, through it this but we'll go for it that's nice and nice and light-hearted isn't it jeez um that's why we call it the big question straight off the back of that sort of slightly comical jingle as well we come on to something that's actually quite yeah serious and and um open for debate but i think harry the only person that should really lead away with this is you because i'm an old dinosaur well i won't disagree there but i definitely agree the industry is male dominated it's something that i think most photographers would have noticed at some point you know you go to your local camera club and i would bet that 70 80 90 percent of the members if not all of them are probably um males of a particular generation and that's that's who camera clubs appeal to now we run workshops and trips in scotland and across the world And I think we're slightly more fortunate that we do see a bit more of a split in the demographic on our trips, but it's definitely still more male dominated. Not a huge amount more, though, to be fair, I think. In our in our trips, but in the professional world, I think I think it's a different matter. Absolutely, yeah. And I think I think it ties into to almost all industries and the the way the world has been run for a long time, in that the confidence for female photographers is just not been there. You know, why Why try and throw themselves into this egotistical, which, you know, photography is, is a very egotistical environment. I don't think anyone can disagree when, when you, you get wrapped up in award-winning photographers and, and um, you know, sometimes the machoism that surrounds it, that it's not exactly a welcoming place for women is it well i think there's a couple of things that spring to mind really um and i think that we should delineate between amateur for want of a much much better word photographers or non-professional photographers and professional photographers so that's something that we should first think about um secondly there's sort of genres of photography as well from landscape to wedding photography or whatever um so i think those 
dem- if you were to break down those areas, the demographics would be slightly different within those areas of male to female. But nonetheless, I agree that, of course, there are more male photographers in most genres than female photographers. Then there's the question of tech and using tech. And it is only in relatively recent times that... Um, that tech has become more accessible and more of interest to ladies. But the big question really is what is a photographer here? Because in essence, is it somebody who can work tech or is it somebody who can hike up a mountain quicker than somebody, potentially somebody who can't? Although whenever I've been out with people, it's always been the ladies that have been to the top of the mountains long before the gents anyway. So, but I think that the main question is what is, as I said, what is a photographer? And I think without a shadow of a doubt, the best photographers I've ever ever seen in the non-professional environment have been ladies. There's no question, have been female. There's no question about that whatsoever. Um, they think more creatively. I mean, I don't know whether that's a fact, a scientific fact or whatever, but they certainly think more creatively, think more laterally, and that tends to make better photographers altogether anyway. So, and I'm sure over time that that will, as in many other industries, that will, you know, cross over into the professional commercial world as well. So us fellas better watch out because the ladies are sure as anything, they're coming, coming to get us. There's no question. Well, so we know that they must be out there and I know plenty and I follow plenty of them on social media. But when you go to big photographic competitions, the largest competitions around the world, whether it's landscape or wildlife uh, or commercial photography, I would say 95% of the awarded names are going to be male. Well, I suspect that the pictures are being judged not quite as artistically as they should be. And I suspect that, you know, you can sometimes I could I could probably tell uh, a picture that's taken by a lady as opposed to taken by a gent in a certain situation anyway, not across the board. But if you were, you know, pointing a camera at a particular vista, let's say, you could probably tell the one that's slightly generically taken by a man, taken by a woman. And I and I suspect that the better picture, the more artistic, the more storytelling, the more, I don't know, the picture with a certain je ne sais quoi would as a generalisation would have been taken by the lady as opposed to uh, taken by a guy who's just pleased to have got his F-stops in the right order or something. I mean, disagree if you want, guys, but I would say that women take a lot more photographs than men do in general. They tend to just do it maybe on their phones. Um, And do you think that there's anything, I mean, you touched on it before, but perhaps the cameras themselves, the gear, the names, as we just talked about, you know, getting to that level, um, maybe they don't see the point of doing it. Maybe they're just not that interested in gear. But I would say in general, women have got a more creative eye. That's a sweeping statement, obviously. But in general, women are the ones out there with their phones, taking pictures of their kids, taking pictures. When I lead people on hikes, women have got their phones out all the time. The guys might have a big camera, but the percentage of guys to women actually taking images Women in general, they're the ones, they're interested, they want to do it, but it doesn't go often past doing it for yourself. So I think you're completely right, Ruth, to be honest with you. And I think what you're touching upon there is, you know, when you're out leading groups or taking people on hikes or whatever, that ladies have their phones out and about. What that is actually meaning is that women are being more observant. What that, I'll start that again. What women are actually I doing... I quite like that word, observant. <laughs> observant, yeah. yeah, observant <laughs> is a word. Uh, but yes, that's exactly what they're doing. They're being more, you know, they're taking in what they see far more than a guy who's just tramping along. And I know these are sweeping generalisations. We're fully aware of that before people start bashing and worrying away at their keyboards. But I think it is true. And I think that's what makes ladies... Uh, 
in general terms, better observer photographers? No, so I think you're right, Ruth. It's uh, there's clearly women who have got sort of a more creative eye a lot of the time compared to guys. I think guys, for the most part, are way more invested in the technical side of photography. You know, the gear, accumulating that gear, organising your gear, talking about your gear, comparing your gear to someone else's. Uh, you know, it's a very male-dominated and very male way of approaching a, a hobby. You know, we're mm. collecting, organising. It's something that, uh, that I've done for a long time. Yeah. Ex- exactly. Well, so I guess, yeah, so competition is, is going to probably appeal to men a lot more, which may explain why women aren't necessarily entering photographic competitions. Is there a way that we can encourage, or should we be encouraging women to enter photography competitions? Is it a problem? Not if we want to win, Harry. Well, yeah. (laughs) I mean, is it an ego thing? Do guys in general, maybe, and again, not all guys, obviously, but, you know, maybe they're just more keen to become known, to have people say how great their photographs are. Women, maybe just, you know, they've taken it, they enjoy it, they don't care quite so much. I think think, uh, one of the things, and again, sweeping generalisation before we get those messages streaming in, although feel free to stream your messages in anyway, we'll ignore the stupid ones, um, is that men tend to, this is out of the non-professional environment, men tend to take pictures for themselves, women tend to take pictures for others. And I believe that makes them, in my view, a better photographer. Because a photographer, after all, should really, you can of course take pictures of yourself, I'm not saying that's not a thing, but but really a really good set of images or images that will stand the test of time are generally taken with somebody else in mind at the time they're the ones that in 10 15 100 years time you look back and you'll think that's really something special there so let me ask you this james um i was having a look at the analytics for our youtube channel and supposedly only two percent of our audience are female why why do you think that is uh you put me on the spot there i had no idea you were (laughs) going to ask me that to be fair um no i think the part of the reason for that goes back to what you mentioned about that ridiculously long camera name that is clearly marketed at gents. Um, I would imagine, I mean, they are morons for marketing it in that way. It's, I mean, it's the most stupid piece of marketing ever. Um, I think that's part of the reason. So I think stumbling across our YouTube channel is something that guys probably do more and I think women have better things to do as well than I genuinely believe that I mean I can actually for those that are saying I can actually see Ruth here so Ruth's rolling her eyes but I but no, I, I think you're right women are probably busy doing stuff men in general are s- sitting watching YouTube yeah and, I, and I, I agree and I would agree and I know I'm doing down mankind here and I sound like I'm overly praising women as photographers but I do genuinely believe that women make better photographers than men for a multitude of reasons and I think the main reason for that is observation they look around a lot more their minds are not as closed they're not thinking about i don't know whatever it is men think about every 13 seconds allegedly so the roman empire the roman empire precisely harry um but in answer to your question about why i think the simple answer is why only what's it two percent did you say uh, a female about that yeah yeah okay i think the simple answer is that the world of photography has not evolved it's got further to go in terms of reaching the female order and, and women embracing photography in a way. Because on the trips that we run, I'm guessing it's probably 60, 40. It's not that far off that, right? In terms of it's something along those lines. We don't actually have the stats. And I don't think any of us do. But I would guess that it's 60, 40. 
in favour of men to women. So it's getting to parity, really. I just think that um, in terms of uh, taking in content from photographic magazines, I bet the stats would be the same in photographic magazines and and other uh, YouTube channels as well, or other ways of taking on board photographic content. I just, you know, I think it's just there's a little way to go is the answer to that. So what sort of content do you think, and this is directed to both of you, Ruth, I'd love to hear your, your input on that. What sort of content would photographically do you think women would like to see more of well i mean just just going briefly back to what you were saying on the two percent i I would just uh, you know just to get practical on that i think a lot of the time obviously the analytics on youtube measure who's logged in and watching so i think a lot of the time the men are actually the ones logged into youtube and i've spoken to a lot of women who say oh no we watch it don't worry because i've said "It's, it's all guys it's all guys they go no we watch it but it's my husband's account or whatever, or I'm sitting with them or watching it on telly. Very often it's them that's actually logged in. So I think there are actually a few more women um, than we think there are. But, you know, in general, um, I don't. I mean, women like landscape, women like wildlife. I know plenty of them that do. But I think what James said is people aren't as inclined to maybe sit on YouTube and watch things. And you mentioned as well the workshops the parity between men and women are getting closer and closer. And I think a lot of the time women aren't as afraid to admit that they don't know something and to come and to be taught something, whether it's by a man or by a woman. Whereas men are probably more likely to read the magazines, to watch the YouTube shows. There's no kind of, I'm not talking about ego again, but there's no loss of ego. You learn something, but you're not admitting that you you need to know that thing. And that might sound a bit harsh, but I think in general, the fact that we are seeing women coming to be taught on things like workshops. It shows that they do want to learn. They do want to see these things. They are actually interested. And I think it's too sweeping to say, oh, women would watch something that's more street or women would watch something that tells you how to photograph a child. I'm not sure that's entirely the case. But practically, you know, maybe women are more inclined to watch things that women present. I've seen that a lot. I've got a few women presenters I enjoy watching. Um, Different styles of videos, maybe that fit in better into their schedules, into their days. Um, Men, as James said, quite often in general do tend to have a bit more time um, to sit and watch our, our long form style of things but I don't know it's 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 not an easy one to answer well um, I kind of agree with Ruth there and I think it's only fitting that she should have the last word well I appreciate that thanks James next month's um, big question will be should the photo workshop industry be regulated so uh, looking forward to that and get our thinking caps on but we're going to move on to our next feature which is What's the point? Jazzy. Jazzy. We like it. And uh, again, another um, technique related thing we've got going on here. We talked last month about focus stacking, what the point of that was. This is obviously, uh, it's not what's good, what's not. It's you guys' opinion on this. So this month we are talking, what is the point of back button focus, James Right. Well, the point of back button focus is about the same as the point of which I discussed last time with Marcus, focus stacking. So there's only one person here, Mr. Wildlife himself, the otter boy, eagle man, Harry. Do you use back button focus? Because that's the genre it should all be used in, right? Well, yes. Wildlife is what, uh, if, if you use back button focus, it's always wildlife photographers shouting about how great a, a technique it is now on slrs i never used it i think it was pointless um and uh, overall on mirrorless cameras it's also largely pointless but i do use a version of back button focus now in that my front button my shutter button is still enabled on normal 
autofocus, normally set to just a single small focus point, and I can move this around using my joystick. On the back of my camera, I've got my AF on button, and that is enabled to my animal object tracking. So I can switch between the two modes very quickly. Servo, to be clear, right? No, so my, my AI animal detect. Oh, just simply to the animal detect, which is um, a piece of software built in, right? Yeah, so I can then hold down my finger on the or my thumb on the AF on button and it will automatically track an animal, hopefully tracking its eye. If I then manage to lose the animal or the focus um, doesn't quite nail it or loses the the object uh, a little bit, then I can switch very quickly to my front button um, as a backup and I can re-engage the focus with a very small focus point and nail it back onto the animal's head or body. So I, I use a combination. The For anyone that doesn't really know what back button focus is, it was the, it was the way of trying to disengage the act of taking a photograph using your front button, the shutter button, and the focusing. So to try and separate those two functions in that that would help you get better focus and that you'd be able to retain focus on your subject and then recompose your photograph and still take a, a picture. Because if you used front button focus and you held your finger down and you got your focus over a bird and then you wanted to position the bird to the side of frame and then you moved your camera, if you were still holding your finger down on the shutter button to track the subject, you'd all of a sudden lose your focus. So there was a, a sort of a minor amount of common sense and that we could try and separate the two functions of taking a picture and focusing on the subject but largely irrelevant even with SLRs because we can move our focus point around it's only on the very oldest SLRs as they came in that we were restricted James you'll remember these days the heady antiquity days of only being able to use a manual focus you mean <laughs> well no, not even that but just the center focus point with a telephoto yep. lens so you put a put a big lens on particularly with a teleconverter and the camera would only let you use your center focus point that's quite difficult then to nail your autofocus if you've only got one focus point to choose from whereas now we've got the whole sensor to play with if you're using a mirrorless camera even with an slr we've normally got 112 focus points to play with in some cases or more so with this harry because there's one thing that ties in with it just very briefly what metering system are you using this with because that also comes into it because the meter's often tied in so if you're using priority mode it will start reading it from where you're focusing so i'm presuming with a yes or no are you folks are you using manual uh, metering with this well yeah i'm, I'm always in fully manual mode so the, the metering it's largely irrelevant to me so that takes away from from anything so separating metering out from focusing which was another reason people used to do it having uh, a back button focus is is largely irrelevant so in essence what you're saying is it's just giving you back button the, the button on the back it's not really back button focusing you're using it could you could probably assign that to any other button these days on oh yeah cameras. so you're just having two separate focusing buttons yeah so that's what i do now and and that's only because i've got this you know, these animal detect modes. Mm. If I didn't have that, I would still be on normal front button focus. I never, I, I dabbled several times in back button focus and I just never got on with the, the technique. You know, there, there's there's many, many wildlife photographers out there that swear by the technique and say, there's the only way to get a pin sharp, perfect photograph of an animal or a bird is to use back button focus and everything else is, is irrelevant and is not worthy of taking a picture, which 
It's just nonsense. So how many, how many times on varying sort of workshops or trips have you picked up someone's camera and forgotten that they've got back button focus on and then started swearing uncontrollably? Oh, innumerable times. You know, you, you pick up the camera and you go, why, the, why on earth isn't this working? What have you done? They go, well, it's, it's on back button focus. And I can guarantee that it's a good job you're here, A, to explain what back button focus is because both myself and Marcus just completely dismiss it out of hand. But you've actually explained it's not really back button focus what you're talking about anyway. It's actually having two different focus modes pre-programmed to two different buttons. But purely having back button focus where you press it just to enable focus and the front button doesn't enable anything is kind of pointless. And as I said, it's a good job you're here and not Marcus because there would be a lot of um, we would have to there'd be a lot of editing or bleeping going on because. Neither of us see what's the point of back button focus purely, but you have explained that there are, with modern cameras, other ways of using that particular button to assign it to different focus modes, which I think, you know, is fair enough. Well, maybe people listening have actually got uh, an opinion on this as well. And we have actually put up uh, an image on our social medias, on our Photography Online Instagram and Facebook page, What's the Point?, back button focus if you do have an opinion uh hop on there let's move on to our final section of the show does the world really need this does the world really need this all right well this is the section of the show where we look at some new gear that has been released uh, over the last little while or is due to be released uh, and just ask the question does the world really need this we've got a few really quite interesting ones uh this month starting off with something that is called simply and and kind of confusingly unless you're very smart paragraphica now i don't know if that's a, a foreign language or if it's latin or if it means anything james you're you're kind of the, the classically <laughs> trained one does it mean anything to you at first at first hearing <laughs> well you could break it down and it would mean something but in terms of photographic terms it means absolutely nothing and on the notes that you sent me ruth it says ai camera after it which meant i instantly lost all interest in reading any further I know, I know. I mean, if you were to go on to this website, and I was going to mention what it was, I'll put it in the show notes instead because it's it's a, it's a foreign looking uh, name up the top there. It is an AI camera. And basically what it says at the top of this website, it says Paragraphica is a context to image camera that uses location data and artificial intelligence to visualise a photo, in quotation marks, of a specific place and moment. This camera exists both as a physical prototype and a virtual camera that you can try. There is a physical camera, okay? He's basically holding what looks like a black box with a very odd red stripey starbursty bit of plastic in front. And I think the idea is you take it to a location, you point it at the image that is kind of your starting point, and you then tell it with prompts, you know, March 27th, 2017, windy day, whatever. And it takes that base image and does something with it. That's my understanding of it. I don't know, Harry, if you've had a look at this. Well, I've, I've had a brief look at the website and to me, it just looks like utter nonsense. You know, it's not, it's just an AI prompt. Uh, I mean, it just, it goes over my head a little bit, but I just don't see the point in it at all. And well, I don't, I don't even, I, I can't see any information on, does anyone know what it costs? Uh, pff, I haven't even, to be honest, I'm like you, when I saw AI, I kind of <laughs> lost interest. But so Harry's opinion, is there a point? Nope. I would like to see you, Ruth holding one of these and people should go and look at the website by the way we are did you, you said we're going to put the web url somewhere didn't we yeah because it's the most extraordinary looking thing i've ever seen 
Of course, as I freely admitted, I didn't bother researching it. But, but now I've seen it, I'm actually slightly fascinated. So fair enough. But the only thing I would say is that briefly reading through the notes, they should have got, was it chat GBT or whatever it is, to actually, they would have done a better job of writing the, the text that goes with it. Well, we can get AI to, to make a picture of me holding it because the odds of me actually getting it are, are probably pretty slim. Well, the, the odds of you getting it now are very slim. Yeah, exactly. Sorry. It looks lovely to send me one. Um, Edelkrone have got a motorised video tripod. Who's looked at this, James? Um, I have looked at it, yeah, and it's... You know, it's got some merit, I suppose. But at the end of the day, you know, all of these, whether it's AI, motorised this, motorised that, you know, I know it's very easy to sound like an old dinosaur and things like that, but it's very hard to beat just trusting your instincts and moving and, you know, just actually using. And I know it's actually designed for other principles, this particular piece of kit, but but hands-on doing things yourself, it's very hard to beat that, really. Um and I know that Marcus would agree with me, but Harry being a generation, should we give you a generation younger, Harry? Just about. About that, yeah. All I'm hearing is back in my day, we had to do it manually with my hands. And- I know. Well, yeah, I got, yeah, well, I know. Somebody did accuse me of being your father at Johannesburg Airport once, and that scarred me forever. So, you know. <laughs> so, but what do you think? I, I actually think it looks quite good. I mean, Ruth, you'll know how difficult some of this video work is trying to set shots up get tripods sorted Mm. and all the rest and you can pre-program this with different movements leveling features and it doesn't look outrageously cumbersome awkward and heavy which a lot of big video tripods are i mean i don't think i would go and spend the money i don't think i would use the features enough but i think it would be really useful to people that are actually going and doing a lot of video work and uh, and using a lot of the same you know camera movements and pans and tilts and things like that the way you could combine this with the different sliders as well it's just going to make life that little bit easier that little bit quicker and time is money isn't it you know if you don't have to spend half an hour setting up and faffing with the tripod and planning your shot and you can just get it done happy days I mean, one of the things it says here, you know, even when it's on uneven ground, it automatically levels itself thanks to built-in sensors. I mean, that's not a bad thing. We use Edelkrone, we use a slider for filming the show. It's a fantastic brand. It's very, very useful. It doesn't look like they've gone over the top here, like you said, Harry. They've just built in Mm. some things that would actually genuinely be useful. So depending, I guess, on what your your use for it would be, uh, your opinion, Harry, does the world need it? I, I think it does. Okay. James? I'm coming around to it, actually, now Harry's just, you know, he's done a sales pitch for it because it basically sounds like it could save me money when I'm out doing commercial work. So I time versus money. There we are. Well, Ed O'Crone, if, if you need a marketer or a promoter, you know, hit me up. <laughs> um, next Shameless. product we have seen uh, on the market. I'm not sure if it's on the market yet or if it's coming onto the market. It's a prototype at the moment. Um, Viewfinder Kieran is what I'm going to call it. I'm guessing young people have designed this because they've actually taken all the vowels out of the word viewfinder. So it's actually called VWFNDER. Uh, we'll call that viewfinder, Kieran. It's a panoramic digital camera, which, you know, what do we reckon, guys? I mean, it's got to be good. It was designed in Tokyo. Now, I don't think it's available yet. I think they're building working prototypes either at the end of last year or, or the start of this year in 2024. And uh, so I will be really interested to actually see it. But it's a it's a panoramic 
digital sensor. So rather than a normal three by two sensor, it is just a purely digital panoramic sized sensor. It's about 60 megapixels. It is only a fixed lens, I think, at 35 millimeters. But if you watch the most recent episode of Photography Online, Marcus made a big uh, song and dance about uh, this particular photograph of Lighthouse. It could only be taken on a panoramic camera because of something to do with waves and panning. You know, it don't, that's not the only camera he could go out. If we all club together, I'm sure we could buy him this as a Christmas present. Yeah, no, it's not going to happen. And we can finally wean him off all this silly film nonsense and get him onto a proper digital camera. James? Well, Harry's kind of hit the nail on the head there, really. We need to get your hands on it, really, and, and see what it's what it's all about. Um, I suspect it's not quite as good as it says it is, but, you know, benefit of the doubts. And until it's given a good spin, who knows, really? But it's certainly one to keep an eye on, I would say. So does the world really need it? Well, open to debate. Let's see. Maybe. All right. Well, again, we'll put a link to that and people can have a wee look and decide for themselves. Our final one, got to keep the best to last. This is absolutely fantastic. Harry, in fact, why don't you do the honours? What is this camera related, shall we say, product release that we've got here? Well, Canon have brought out a a lamp and also a, with an integrated speaker. And it sounds bizarre. And I only recently discovered just a couple of days ago that Canon have brought out their inaugurable, in, inaugurable, inaug, their first ever <laughs> EP, you know, a bit of music. It's an album auto uh, titled Autofocus, and it's all music designed for helping you to concentrate while you're editing images. It all sounds really, you know, stupid at first. I thought, oh, I'll have to give it. Can I just interject, Harry? There's only one thing to help you concentrate while editing images. That's the Photography Online podcast, the YouTube and the live show, okay? And a cup of wine. And a cup of wine, thank you. Yes, that does help. Don't tell the clients. So I did listen to to this EP and it was great for concentrating and uh, and really quite well produced. I I then noticed in the the description of the EP, they talked about this lamp. You are joking. No, I'm not. This is all... You've listened to it. Yeah, yeah, of course I have. And, And then I saw the picture of this lamp, you know, very minimalistic... Um, it's cool, huh? Metal lamp with, you know, Canon branded on the... I mean, does the world need this? Absolutely not. It's just as a lamp and it's a wireless speaker. But do I want one? Absolutely. I know. It looks really, really cool, I have to say. And it kind of, the top bit slides on a kind of camber system. I mean, it does look super cool. Um, I haven't listened to the music because I'm not tragic. When I first saw this on the Canon Rumours website, I thought this was a Canon patent that's just kind of some kind of joke. And lo and behold, actually, they've made it. Why? I have no idea. How many do they sell? I doubt very many at all. Oh, I, don't, I, th- I think there's going to be a good number of sad people like me. I mean, I have to say it looks good. It does look super cool. I'm watching my pennies and I will, when I, I'll buy one. How much is it, by the way? Do you know how much it is? I can't see. It's £269. Wow. Just oh. quite quite a lot of money for a lamp, but it is voice activated. <laughs> but it's what activated? It's voice activated. Well, so are you and you're a lot cheaper. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, I reckon a really good feature come up would be what other things camera brands come up with that are not actually really anything to do with photography. But that's a really good place to end. That's a very good idea. by the way that's in fact people should tell us that right yeah absolutely I mean stick it on our social medias whatever anything else that are just you know how on earth are they getting off putting their brand name on this but I think that's about it for um, for this month's podcast come
coming up in our next main photography online show for Sunday of March. We are going to be carrying on with our National Parks Challenge day two. See how the guys are getting on with my epic UK challenge. We're doing some Astro and Aurora on there as well. Dartmoor, which I'm assuming James, you have something to do with being in your neck of the woods. Uh, yes, with Nick, I believe. I didn't actually know it was in that show. <laughs> can't quite remember. Plus, I'm going to be in Venice and I'm going to be doing a feature all about 35mm cameras. We've got a couple of different ones, very different ones actually, uh, going to be comparing. So it promised to be a fabulous show. That is the first Sunday of March, so very much uh, looking forward to that. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, James um, and Harry as well. Thanks for making the effort, Harry, to brush your hair. Uh, once, once a month. <laughs> once a month. James is uh, he's dressed up for the occasion too. So we, we appreciate the thought at least and thanks for joining us as well and you know what to do take good care but most of all take good photos the photography online podcast